Ashley broke the entire apartment to a car starting Chapter 10. The bodyguard was actually a Jacobsville police officer who worked odd jobs when he was off duty. He was powerfully built and never seemed to smile. Instead of riding in the car with him, he drove his own private vehicle and followed behind him to San Antonio. Clark had paid for his gas and would have bought him a ballet ticket as well until he mentioned that he preferred being burned at the stake. So Clark had made other arrangements for when they were inside. Keely was wearing the same green velvet dress she wore to the dance in her mother's fox stole and high heels. She was nervous about mingling with the upper class of San Antonio, but Clark held her hand and reassured her that they were just regular people like himself. He recognized a friend of his and introduced Keely to him. The man was Jason Pendleton, who owned a truck farm in Jacobsville. He was usually with his stepsister Gracie. Tonight he was with a redhead woman who introduced her as his, his fiance. The woman was brassy and not very polite. She dragged Jason away scant minutes later and led him to a local newspaper owner instead. I guess we aren't quite good enough company. Clark was old Pepper Nell over there does own a newspaper, but our family could buy most everything he owns out of petty cash. Jason will tell her that at some point and then she'll drag her back. Him back over here and gush and pretend that Pepperwell was a cousin or something whom she had a duty to talk to. Sister Gracie isn't impressed by dollar signs. She has friends who don't have a penny, but Jason's fiance apparently only associates with the ultra rich. <laughs> he was amused. Keely was mortified. Is that the sort of people you know? She asked uneasily. They judge you by dollar signs? Jason doesn't. His fiance apparently does. Okay. I wonder where Gracie is. It's unusual not to see them together. Is it? She countercarries. Brothers and sisters don't usually partner each other at social events, do they? They're not related, he said carelessly. Gracie's mother married Jason's father and promptly died, leaving Jason to look after her. Gracie's mother is dead, but Gracie still lives with Jason, and so now he hasn't been much for commitment. His fiance is nice looking, I guess, but she's graspy too. <laughs> Keely had noticed that. She was watching the woman as Jason Pendleton bent his tall form to speak to her. The woman gave to Clark and Keely and winced. She just got the bad news. Clark chuckled under his breath. Keely laughed too, but as she turned her head, her eyes collided with Boone St. Clair's. She shivered at the unexpected encounter. She averted her eyes at once and turned back to Clark, clinging to his hand. Her heart was racing again. Boone had accused her of chasing him shamelessly. She didn't want to have to speak to him at all. Boone was with Misty. He tugged her over to where Keely and Clark were standing. Before you start, Clark told his brother belligerently, got Jarrett from the Jacobsville Police Department acting as a bodyguard on the road. Detective Rick Marquise has the seat on the other side of us at the ballet. He gave his brother a cold look. He was still smoldering about the private detective's report on them. Up covered all the bases. Boone's dark eyes narrowed irritably to Keely until she was forced to make that reverting stare, but she immediately turned her attention away from him. She couldn't forget what he said about her to his girlfriend. I still don't like, I still don't think it's a good idea, Boone said shortly. Boone, why don't we just enjoy our evening and let your brother and his friend enjoy theirs? Missy asked hotly. He's over the age of consent, you know. Boone gave Misty a look, turned back to him. Don't put her at risk, he said solemnly. 
I would never do that, Clark replied to it, and you know it. Boone gave Keeley a long look that she ignored. He was growling when he escorted Misty to their seats. You invited Marquise? Keeley asked him something to say. Yes. He loves the ballet, and he's our lookout inside, just in case your father and his friend decide to mount an attack in the audience. He had a pure sarcasm. Keeley laughed. I don't think that's likely to happen. Neither do I. Boone's getting strange lady. Lately, he was given Haynes Carson hell on the cell phone last night. God knows for what. Haynes is his best friend, but they're falling out. Are they? She asked absently, still really reeling from Boone's intense interest and not really hearing what Clark said. Shouldn't we go in? Probably. Oh, there you are, Jason Pilt is fiance Russell. I'm so sorry we rushed away, but we had to speak to that friend of Jason's. Clark glanced key. That Keely and had to bite his tongue to keep from laughing. Jason was giving his fiance an odd sort of look, as if he hadn't noticed the social climbing penchant of hers. He wasn't conventionally handsome, but Keely could see why he drew women, and it wasn't because of his money. She gave the couple a shy smile as Clark led her into the auditorium. Dr. Marquise grinned at them as they sat down. You're alone? Clark asked Jason. I can't get girls, Marquise shrugged. Once they see the gun, he indicated a shoulder hustle, and they realize that I carry it all the time. They usually leave skid marks getting out of my life, but it's okay, he said pleasantly. I always wanted to spend my whole life alone with no kids or grandkids. Clark McKeeley burst out laughing. He just grinned. All through the ballet, which was beautiful and riveting, Keeley was aware of Boone's dark eyes watching her. She hated the feeling she couldn't help because she knew what he really thought of her. It was humiliating that she couldn't wish them away. When the performance was over, Boone stopped Clark, Keeley and the bodyguard at the front door. We're stopping by Chenko's Bar and Grill for a nightcap. Why don't you join us? Your bodyguard is welcome to come in too. I don't drink on the job, Garrett said apologetically, but thanks. Uh, we should probably start toward home, Clark began, knowing Keeley's reluctance to be around the just a nightcap, Boone said, and he had the expression that meant he was going to get his own way come hell or hot water. Well, all right, Clark gave in, as he always did. He grimaced because he'd had a glimpse of Keeley's face when he agreed. We won't stay long, Boone promised. He and Missy started toward his sports car. It was parked next to Clark's. Missy was complaining loudly about the intrusion of their privacy. Keeley felt like doing the same. She didn't want a nightcap, especially with Boone. They ended up at the bar anyway. Keeley ordered a soft drink. Misty glared at her while she ordered a whiskey sour with a smirk, as if she thought Keeley was putting on some sort of Puritan act. Marquise would approve, Clark said gently when Keeley was served. You're not legal yet. What? Misty asked. You have to be 21 to have a drink in a bar, Clark said carelessly. She thought, You're not even 21? She asked Keeley. I'll be 20 on Christmas Eve in four months, Keeley said without looking at her. Misty was irritable in its show. She sipped her drink and ignored Keeley. Boone didn't. He seemed restless. When Misty excused herself to go to the ladies' room with obvious reluctance, and Clark decided to go too, Keeley was left alone with Boone. She couldn't force herself to look at him. She sipped her soda with both hands around the glass and started toward the bar and stared toward the bar. You haven't said one word to me all night, he said on his way. You haven't looked at me once. Keely 
did then, and her eyes were blazing. I didn't want it to seem as if I were chasing you, she told him coldly. I understand that I swear to myself that you had the charity dance, and it offended you. His jaw taunted and looked away as if the comment embarrassed him. There's things going on that you don't know about. You shouldn't be wandering. Oh, excuse me. You shouldn't be wandering around the state with Clark. I'm as safe with him as I would be at home, she said. Clark is a wonderful man. I'm very lucky that your private detective turned him off Nellie. Apparently, she added with a meaningful smile. I'm more to his taste than she is. His growl was intimidating, but before he could speak, Misty was back. She swept into her chair and leaned against Boone's shoulder to distract him. Clark and Keeley were stiff and uncomfortable, and they barely managed to remain civil for the time it took them to finish their drinks. Misty made a point of getting Keeley momentary alone on their way to the He's talked about nothing except you all night. God knows why. Well, you won't get him, she said. I said, I'm going to fix you. Keely didn't get a chance to ask her what she meant. Misty ran to Boone and almost tripped getting in their car. Misty was apparently jealous that Boone had mentioned Keely. She couldn't imagine why, but it's told her to think he might be regretting his bad behavior. What the hell is wrong with Boone? Clark asked him. I've never seen him so grim. I haven't the slightest idea, Keely said. I gave him the devil about the detective's report. He swore he hadn't put the detectives up to it. Put the man up to lying, he rescued. It's hard for me to stay mad at him. I'm sorry I couldn't get us out of that drink. Finish that one. It's not done. Sorry about that. My daughter. It's okay, Clark. She replied. He's a bulldozer. It's hard for anyone to say no to him. Especially me, he smiled. When we were kids, Boone was always protecting me from the main older boys. He was never afraid of anything. I guess maybe he protected me too much. After our mom left, Dad was held to live with. Boone took a lot of his hits that were meant for me. He loves you. Yeah, I love him too, and I said. Boone said that Sheriff Carson was, was out your way. Yes, but I had to tell him what that did. Excuse me? Put her lower lip. Her father was a criminal. That was going to put Boone right out of her orbit forever. I'm certain Hans Carson had already told him about Keeley's parents. Two men have been best friends forever. My father was a drug dealer, Clark. She said quietly. He supplied the cocaine that killed Sheriff Carson's brother, Bobby. Oh boy. Clark said heavily. You poor kid. Now my dad's back, and he and his partner want mommy. money. Lots of it. I could give them whatever they want, he said at once. No, her eyes were really. Don't you see? The only way to stop them is to keep them hanging around while Mama put the house in the market. The police might have a chance to catch them before they can hurt anyone. You think your father would hurt you, he asked. Keely had never liked looking back. Her accident had hurt more than her body. When the little boy dropped into the lion pit, Keely's father had been standing on the other side. He hadn't made a move to help. Yes, he would, wouldn't he? Clark asked perceptibly. Keely drew a long breath. That had been just after the court case that Keely's father had brought her back to Jacobsville. He hadn't said much to her, and he hadn't met her eyes. She tried to tell herself that he'd only hesitated because he was shocked, but Keely hadn't hesitated. I, I spent all these years trying to pretend that he brought me back for my own good, she said, but I think it was because I made him ashamed. She held up her hand when he started asking. I can't talk about it, not even now. 
so painful to think that my father was willing to stand by when a child's life was in danger. I loved him, but he was ready to sacrifice me to save himself. In the same situation, Boone wouldn't have hesitated for a split second. Neither would you or Winnie. Clark was home. It's hard to lose faith in a parent. I know. When our mother ran off with our uncle, we were devastated. Three little kids, and she just left. Keely was thinking that she would never have deserted her own flesh and blood, but she didn't say it. Clark he'll make a wonderful mother. Your kids will be spoiled rotten. She smoothed the right hand over her left No, she said, I won't have children, and I won't marry. Your little scars aren't going to matter, he told her. She didn't reply. He had no idea. She couldn't tell him either. She said, I had a good time, she said. Mr. Pilton's fiance was a hoot. She chuckled. Do you think he's really going to marry a woman who's that violating about social climbing? I think, like me, he got into a physical relationship that blinded him to a woman's true nature. He said, Opie's lucky enough to see the light in time. She cried, What does it sound like you? Watching Misty tonight, he replied. She was all over Boom. Her eyes like dollar signs. She likes going first class. She pretends to have money, but I don't think she does. I think she's putting up on an act to try to get Boom back. I hope he's got better sense. He just was him. I saw myself when I looked at him. I was just as enchanted by Nelly. But what I saw was an illusion. He answered, You won't even let me give you your own equities, and you love them. It's awfully. I've never known a woman like you. Actually, there are lots of them, and they all live in Jacobsville in commercial world cities, just plain, unsophisticated, little country girls who love animals and like to plant things and don't think marrying a rich man is the greatest of life's ambitions. He grimaced. I'll never get one of those kind of girls past Boone, he said with resignation. He always expects the worst when I date anybody outside our own circles. That stung, but she didn't say so. Cart had been kind her. I have to go, she said. I had a wonderful time tonight, Clark. She added, thanks. We'll do it again, he frowned. I didn't mean that like it sounded about dating girls outside my own circle, he added. I always think of you as family. She smiled. That's the nicest thing you've said to me. He looked sheepish. I guess you'd rather have thought of you as an elderly young woman. She said, I like being your friend. I like being yours. Benton kissed her cheek. If you ever needed help, you know you could ask me. She chuckled. Of course I do. But I can take care of myself. Good night, Clark. Good night. He watched her go into the house before he drove away. Her mother was unusually quiet when Keely asked about the house. She got up. She got evasive replies. Carly was nowhere in sight and hadn't been for some time. She was out of town for a while. Ellie was finally. Ellie said finally and didn't refer to Carly again. They were also a disturbing phone call that Ella had answered with single syllables replies. She went and told her daughter what had been said or even who had called. When a car pulled up at the front door on a rainy Saturday morning, Ella actually gasped. Keely ran to look out. It's Boone Sinclair, she stammered shock. Thank God, Ella said heavily. Thank God. She walked back down the hall, went into her room and closed the door. Surprised, Keeley went out onto the porch as Boone exited the car, took the porch steps two at a time. He was work he was in working clothes, jeans and boots, and a white Stetson with a checkered western cut long sleeve shirt, buttoned right up to the neck. He looked down at Keeley, his eyes dark and stormy. 
go for a drive, he said quickly. She could have found a dozen reasons not to go. She wanted to come up with an excuse. Her mind agreed, but her body walked back into the house, grabbed her purse, a lightweight jacket, and told her mother goodbye. Boone opened the door of his car, helped her inside, and went around to get in and start the engine. A minute later, they were speeding down the highway toward his ranch. She was nervous, and it showed. Her hands played with her small purse while she listened to the rhythmic sound of the windshield wipers as they brushed away the pouring rain. Despite all the recent turmoil, she felt safe with Boone. Safe, excited, hopeful, breathlessly in love. Her whole body ached to be held again as he held her at the charity dance. She hoped that didn't show. It did. Boone was far too experienced to mistake her body language. He smiled softly to himself. If she'd been involved with his brother, as Clark claimed, she wouldn't be this nervous. Of Boone's company. That meant there was still time. If he could convince her that he hadn't meant to humiliate her, pulled out onto a pasture track that led to a closed gate, stopped the car, and cut off the engine. The rain flooded onto the windshield, making the outside world a gray blur. He unfastened the seatbelt and settled himself crossways in his seat and stared at Keeley. The silence was a little unnerving. She glanced at him and found her eyes captured and help. Clark says the two of you are going steady, he said. Now what did she say? She wondered frantically. It wasn't true, but Clark was using her as a tool of vengeance. Apparently, for Nellie's loss, she bit her lower lip, trying to find a graceful way out of the dilemma. Did he say that? She asked, playing for time to think. His dark eyes knew. Don't play games with me, he said. Are you or are you not getting mixed up with my brother? Sorry, Clark, she said silently. No mere woman could have resisted that look in Boone's eyes. I'm not, she said, sounding breathless as though she'd run a long way. The tauntness seemed to go out of him. Well, thank God for one thing going right here. I could have slugged Haynes Carson. While she was trying to work out that puzzle, he unfastened her seatbelt, pulled her over the console into his arms. I thought this week would never end. His mouth ground down into hers as if he'd gone hungry for years and sought to satisfy the hunger in seconds. He crushed her half against him, mindless of her soft cry of focus. I'm starving to death for you, he whispered in her mouth, dying for you. Had she really heard him say that? She gave up protesting. It didn't do any good anyway. She curled up against him and ignored the pain in her shoulder and arm. Going boneless as his door only increased at her response. Her head began to spin. It was the sweetest interlude of her life. Rain pounded on the roof, the hood, the truck. The wind blew, but she heard nothing over the pounding of her own heart. She had no reserve left. Whatever he wanted, he could have, except for what his hand searched under her blouse. And up over her breast, inching toward the strap, she couldn't, didn't dare let him fill her shoulder. With a sharp little cry, she jerked away from him, her face flushed from his door, her eyes wild with passion and dread. He misunderstood. His eyes grew cold. He pushed her away, dragging in a harsh breast until he could control himself again, taking her protest the first time he kissed her as virginal fears. This wasn't. She rejected him. She lied about her feelings to Clark. She couldn't hide the fact that she didn't want him to submit to bone. His ego hurt almost as badly as it when Misty... Showed her away from him in the military hospital. 
She began slowly dreading what she had to tell him now. Forget it, he said, interrupting her. Put his seat belt back on and started the car. Obviously, you can't get past your feelings for Clark. No sweat. He didn't say another word or even look at her until they were sitting in front of her house with the engine on the It isn't what you think she'd been on. The hell is it? He returned out. Goodbye, Keely. The way he said it, she knew it wasn't simply a temporary farewell. He meant that he wouldn't see her alone again, ever. Her heart broke. He thought she rejected him, and it wasn't true. She couldn't bear to see the look on his face if he got her shirt off. That would end any chance she had with him, of course. She'd just done that without the added trauma of what he didn't know. <laughs> she drew in a quiet breath. Thanks for the ride, she managed in a flight tone. She opened the door and got out. He still had some work. He was done in the driveway before her foot was on the first step of the house. She didn't look back. It wouldn't help. Her mother was still acting oddly. Almost a week had passed since we had taken Keely riding and kissed her. The rain had stopped and now the heat blazed. There were wildfires. Everyone was afraid to throw down a match or burn trash or even smoke a cigarette outdoors. It was almost time to harvest corn and hay and peanuts. The corn and hay would have to last the livestock through the winter. It was very important combines and tractors were setting on ready while the last days counted down the harvest. On Saturday morning, the sun... The sounds of machinery could be heard everywhere. Winnie stopped by to pick up Keeley for an impromptu lunch. Turner first that Boone was out with the combines and wouldn't be in all day. He'd taken a cooler with him, bearing lunch and beer. I hope I have enough eggs to do the eggs out, Winnie murmured as they pulled up into her driveway past the huge post that held the non-open gates that led to the house. If I don't, I may have to run back to the store. Why didn't I think of it while I was in town? She moaned. She glanced at Keely, who looked after and said, Boone's really out with the combine. Ones. I won't lie. Keely lectures me. Okay, sorry. Not your fault. When he replied, leading the way into the house. Boone raged about you all week. In fact, not to mention Haynes Carson. God knows why. But this morning, something came by express. He took it into his office and got all quiet. He went out without a word, walking really slow. She grimaced. God help the cowboys. Somebody will... Quit by sunset. Mark my words, he's seething. You don't know why? Keely had to ask. Couldn't have been something about my father. When he looked at what would Boone have to do with your father? Keely felt He said he talked to Champagne. Swing's girl. Keely, what's going on? She had to leave. Did Clark say anything to you at all? He said you had to take a bodyguard with you when he went to San Antonio. When he replied gently, I'm not stupid. There's gossip about your father being in trouble and threatening you and your mother. But I don't think Boone would be mixed up with that. No, no, of course not. Keely said it once. She forced a smile. When he had no idea what was really going on with Boone and her best friend, it was probably better than she never did. Boone would never look twice at Keely again anyway. She... She wondered how she was going to manage to draw back from her friendship with Winnie without making the other woman suspicious. She had to find a way. Just the thought of running into Boone again after the way they parted Saturday made her nervous. They started lunch, but as Winnie had predicted, she should have bought eggs. She only had to. I can't make enough egg salad for us now and for the men later. <sighs> Just two eggs, she laughed. We grabbed the car keys and said, You finish the pasta salad and I'll run to the store. I'll only be 15 minutes. She had to do the very part. He's over in the North Pasture. She had a little free bull. Couldn't get, even get here 15 minutes. Feel better? Yes, she said blatantly. When he pursed her lips, I do wonder what's going on between you and my big brother, but I won't ask.
Yet, she crept out of the back door, closed it behind her. Keely felt less secure. She finished the pasta salad and put it into the refrigerator. She heard the front door open and close and felt a pang of relief. When he was back, but the footsteps coming down the hall weren't soft and muffled. They were heavy and hard. Apprehensively, she turned, and there was Boo, wearing stained jeans and boots, his shirt wet with sweat, his stetson dangling from one hand. His eyes, as they met her, were blazing with anger. Coming through the office, Keely, he said, Tom. I've got something to show you. He turned and walked away, leaving her to follow. She paused at the open door of the office, tugging at the buttons on her long sleeve white shirt. She was wearing over ten twelve slacks. He was holding the envelope that Winnie said he had come by express service this morning. Took out a photograph and had a mountain. Have a look, he said in a tone so threatening that it made the hair on the back of her neck stand up. And then tell me you don't have anything going on with Clark. End of chapter 10.